Warren Wiersbe said, what the foundation is to the house, the Constitution is to the United States. Likewise, what the periodic table of the elements is to chemistry, the book of Genesis is to the balance of Scripture. The created universe that God brought into existence provides all the necessary elements for everything mankind ever has or will imagine to do. We learn that there is space, time, matter, and energy in creation, or motion and force. Everything man does is in cooperation with nature, and man can create nothing apart from what God has provided in the beginning. The first 11 chapters of Genesis provide for us the foundation of our understanding of the rest of the Bible, and in particular, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is the gateway through which our understanding begins. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. J. Vernon McGee calls this verse the doorway through which you have to walk into the Bible. You have to believe that God is the creator. Anything less will diminish and distort your understanding of Scripture. God is eternal, having neither beginning nor end. We call Him self-sufficient, which by the way, when you read It Was Good about creation, that's the underlying message or meaning of the word good. It's self-sufficient. What God created will reproduce itself. By definition, God cannot be limited by any measure, and certainly not by evolution, which makes the creature greater than the Creator. In the beginning, God stands in direct contradiction to every other religion in the world, where they worship, as Abigail reminded us, the world worships a variety of greater and lesser gods. In the beginning... God, try to explain it and you may lose your mind. <laughs> try to explain it away and you will lose your soul. This simple phrase, in the beginning, God, it establishes our understanding of God's dealing with humanity for the rest of the scripture and all of history. Without God in the beginning, we are left to the speculation of man. Evolution not only rejects the revelation of God's Word, it denies the fall of man. It diminishes the effects of sin. It disregards God's redemptive plan, the effects of sin, and what has occurred, and perhaps the most significant of all truths, the virgin birth, without God in the beginning. Without God in the beginning, there is simply no solution to where we came from. There's no answer to why we are here. There's no reason for where we are headed. Evolution cannot give you the beginning. Evolution cannot bridge the gap from nothing to something. Evolution cannot tell you when life became a living soul and with the self 
conscious, free will choice that humans uniquely enjoy over all creation. In the beginning, God created all things for his pleasure. And the narrative concludes over in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. In the beginning, God is indeed the doorway through which we are introduced to the Maker of heaven and earth. We are told of His Son, Jesus, and we are made alive through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But it all hinges on your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, who by him we do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. And of all creation that is good, there's only one part that is described as formed. God made all things, but he formed one thing in particular. Genesis chapter 2, down in verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now this word formed, we learned, is unique to the sculptor creating a work of art it is thoughtful, it is complex, it is creative. Consider these five characteristics, which we looked at before, in the formation of man. First of all, man is created by God. Not a cosmic collision, nor simply the top rung of an evolutionary ladder, but wholly separate and unique, yet responsible to God. We are called sons of God, different from all the rest of creation. Also, man is created in the image of God. Unlike the rest of nature, even more highly considered than the angels, we have the ability to think, to reason, to express personality, to make independent decisions. Although this position was marred by sin, sin we are called upon to worship God. Man, number three, was created to have dominion over the rest of creation. Man had a unique and personal relationship with God. When we read about God having a conversation with man in the quiet uh, hours of the morning when the dew was still on the ground. And when they believed Satan's lie, death took hold and separated them in their relationship from God. However, Jesus maintains his authority and will one day restore man's dominion upon a new heaven and a new earth. Number four. Man was created to express the glory of God. Everything God created was observed to be good. Remember the word sustainable, self-sustainable. It was for God's glory. It was for man's pleasure. Man is the crown jewel, the apple of God's eye, the focus of God's intention in all of creation. Number five, man is mutually responsible to God. As the steward of creation, we should care for it, tend to it, use it in ways that honor God as the creator of all things. Furthermore, we respect our fellow man because, as we believe, each man, like him or her or not, is created in the image of God. Anyone who dishonors any life on earth dishonors God in heaven. God has given man, according to 1 Timothy 6, all things 
richly, abundantly to enjoy. Man has appointed, uh, as, is appointed as God's steward of creation, remembering that one day we will give an account of what we do with this world, this life, the resources in this world, and give an account to God as the maker. For the believer, it's not just a matter of ecology. I love the conversation about ecology and caring for the world. I like that. But it's not just a matter of ecology. It's a matter of theology. Why? Because this is my Father's world. It's not just a place I want to take care of. It's a place I will give an answer to the Creator. God's intention for creation, and in particular His image in man, has been marred by sin, which is all the more reason to refer to God's Word as the manual for instruction in all things. As has often been said, when all else fails, what do we need to do? Read the manual. Read the instructions. Now, you've all done it. You've tried to put something together. You've tried to accomplish something. You thought it would be self-evident, and you would take off in doing something, and then some place you get to, and you say, I'm not sure what this is about, and you refer to the manual for instructions. First Timothy 3, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that this book, God's Word, is, the, is inspired as the instruction from God. It is profitable in all things for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Well, in this book of beginning, we also learn the principle of first things. We came to a lot of things that were the first time it was mentioned in Scripture, the first time something is mentioned, the first command, the first promise, the first covenant, the importance of obeying from the beginning. The first day of rest, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, when creation was complete, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, which he had made. And he rested the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. This seventh day establishes the primary importance of worshiping God. God did not create a day of rest. I know we think of it when we use the word rest. We think, well, I've had a tough week. I need a day off. God didn't have a difficult week and needed a day off. God didn't overexert himself and decided he needed a day of vacation. That's not the intent of the establishing of this day of rest. It is to recognize God as the creator of all things. Chapter 2, verse 2. The blessing of God is maintained by this seemingly simple act of God establishing a day of rest, a day of reflection, a day of remembrance. We use Sunday as this sort of day that we set aside, the first day of the week. That's established because of the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus from the grave on the first day of the week. So now we use Sunday as the day set aside to worship and remember God as Creator. This day is of completion establishes God's rhythm for life and enjoyment. But as St. Augustine wrote, Thou, God, hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. My dear friend, have you found your rest, your joy, your satisfaction in the Lord Jesus, the Creator of heaven and earth? Another first is down in chapter 2, verse 16. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But here's the first command. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. We have here the first use of the word command in recognition of God's authority to limit man's otherwise dominant position on earth. Two trees, one rule, a guaranteed outcome. It sounds pretty simple, right? Now, if you've ever been in management over people, you can make it as foolproof as you think it is, and the stupidity of people will still become evident. Two trees, one command, a guaranteed outcome, and yet they still messed it up. On the one hand, there's a tree of life, and the promise is of immortality. On the other hand, there's a tree of knowledge, of good and evil, and the promise is that of death. But like the innocence of a child, when they don't understand the difference of good and evil, they don't understand that playing in the road is dangerous. They don't understand that touching the stove is going to burn their finger. They don't understand that the paint is wet, and some of you like me still will go over and touch it, right? We just have to prove it. They doubted God's command was for their good, for their best interest. So they just had to reach out and touch it and see it for themselves, and as a result, Man was thrown into sin and the guilt and failure that comes with it. This is what theologians call man's free moral agency. The image of God has been stamped on us, but it cannot be expressed apart from our voluntary obedience. Disobedience always results in compromise of some sort. And worse yet, it will take you out of fellowship with God and always lead to death. The first requirement establishes a basic truth for life. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings a curse. It brings uh, a division. It breaks our fellowship with which we were, for which we were created with God. And the first relationship on earth reminds us of the first thing that God says was not good. Chapter 2, I'm still there, in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It's not self-sustaining. Remember that concept of the word good? What would happen to the human race if we don't go on with the rest of this story? And so he said, It was not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help me. Somebody that's just perfect for him. Right? When we go back to the beginning, the man was the groom. The woman was the bride. And together they fulfilled one another and filled the earth with joy and life. The most intimate relationship we can have on earth was designed by God. It serves as the basis for all of our social interaction. If marriage were up to humans and it were up for our debate, then every worldly misunderstanding about sexual pleasure would enter the conversation. It would undermine and it is destroying the sanctity, the dignity, and the unity that has been designed by God. 
not man, for marriage. But for all the good of the enjoyment, sin is real. Satan is our enemy. He shows up on the scene in chapter 3 for the first time. Now the serpent, there he is, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said, Satan says to the woman, are you sure God said what you think you heard? He shall not eat of the tree of, of every tree of the garden. He's already twisting the truth. His name means slanderer. And he's not only called a liar, but we were reminded in Sunday school this morning, he's called the father of all lies. Part of his deception is that he appears as an angel of light. Because if he came at you with a pitchfork and horns and a red face, you would know him to be a monster to be uh, avoided, right? But no, he shows up as a minister of light, an angel of light. He's known as the prince of this world and the god of this age. He always overpromises and underdelivers, which is the nature of everything offered in this present world by this counterfeit without God. Nothing about Satan is original, but he is an imposter promoting a false gospel, Galatians 1, followed by false prophets, 2 Corinthians 11, gathering counterfeit Christians in a synagogue of Satan described in Revelation where he calls evil good, good evil. He puts light or darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Everything is flipped around and you see it more and more in the world today. In fact, we, we just had that conversation on the way into church today, Bob. The enemy is a counterfeiter. He's a deceiver. He is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't think for a minute that he is anything less than that. And he will, he will rob you of the joy designed in God's creation. We find Satan later in Genesis chapter 4 down in verse 7. We find Satan. It's just called evil. But Satan is crouching just outside the door. He will appear legitimate. He will change just a few details. And then he will get you to doubt by suggesting, you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have withheld. If God really loved you, he would have given you. If God really loved you, he would not have allowed this to happen, if God. Doubt brought disobedience, and it ended by destroying everything they enjoyed the most. Man and his work would now forever be cursed and be a struggle. The children that every woman would give birth to would now come with great pain. And together, all people would now seek their own self-interest. Man's natural reaction to sin was to hide himself, you may remember. But then God came looking for him. That is what Jesus has done. He has come looking to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are hiding in their sin, and to bring them out of darkness into his marvelous light and forgiveness of sin. God's word makes it clear in the beginning. Do you remember this pro-evangelium passage? Do you remember this conversation? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee 
Satan and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. It shall bruise, crush your head, Satan, and thou shalt bruise his heel. To death the Lord Jesus went, but death was no match for the Lord Jesus. And he rose again the third day. That's the pro evangelia That's the first mention of the gospel, the hint of the gospel that we find in Scripture. Now to that end, God weaves his thread of his covenant through his people. It was confirmed again in Noah. It was established as we saw the generations of Noah all the way down into including Abraham. And it is, of course, fulfilled in this lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we are all of one blood, remember when they all came together? God has blessed the world through His remnant, the Jews that remain to this day. Every blessing of the Christian faith comes by the generations of Shem, the Jew. Genesis chapter 9, down in verse 26. Genesis 9 and 26, where Noah blessed the Lord God of Shem and said, Canaan will be his servant. Then in Genesis chapter, we just referenced it, Genesis chapter 12, we didn't go into chapter 12, but we referenced this introduction where he said, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Remember when they all wanted to go together? And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, just you, Abraham, and your barren wife, Sarah, and I will make of thee a great nation. Well, that's a curious statement to say to an older fellow that has no kids. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Over in Galatians 3, for you are all the children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you be Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. From Noah, the population of the earth disperses at Babel. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Shem, the Jew. Ham, the Arab. Japheth, the Gentile. From them, all the nations of the world. But for all of our divisions, the one thing we learned that was perhaps, uh, it's a simple truth, but it was striking, at least when I first understood it, we learned that global reunification is not the answer. Because any movement, any government, any political or religious effort with man at the top will only tend to take society further away and beyond what we learned, as as the Lord called it, the point of no return. There was no stopping man when he joined his forces, and it would always be in opposition against God. The name, And I think, by the way, I've said it before, and on Wednesday night we've discussed it more, I think we are fast approaching the point of no return. Well, the name Babel comes from the word Balal, which means confusion. 
Babel and Babylon are synonymous with corruption and confusion. God has chosen to accomplish His will on earth through His people. And the one thing that you come to understand as you read through the Bible and you are introduced to the characters of the Bible is that people are fragile. And so once again it is clear, no man in Scripture was ever chosen by God for any merit of his own. And furthermore, given every opportunity, man will only ever rebel against God. Despite the best laid plans of mice and men, you remember that conversation. God is in control. And by the way, when I return from, uh, yeah, that, uh, we, will, we will go into the book of Daniel. I know we've had that in uh, conversation on, in Bible study on Sunday mornings, but I'm going to take it through a series of sermons on Sunday mornings when I get back from uh, taking my daughter to college. But despite the best laid plans of mice and men, there is still a God in heaven. He rules over the affairs of men, and he will work to accomplish his purposes in all the earth. In fact, God seems to take great pleasure from what we learned of Abraham and Sarah, who could have, at that point, had no children. God seems to take great pleasure in performing his promises through the least expected means. And do you remember why that is? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Why is it that God seems to take special pleasure in accomplishing his purpose, his will, through means that you and I would say seem least likely? So that no flesh would have any cause to glory in his presence. So that none of us can take any credit for what God has accomplished. My friend, the spirit of Babel is with us to this day. But still God has a faithful remnant that follow him by faith while keeping their eye on this beautiful heavenly city that we've been discussing in our Bible studies on Sunday morning. So I conclude our study of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 by asking you, are you part of that believing remnant? Beware of the spirit of Babel who would have you to go along just to get along. Why do you have to upset the cart? Why do you have to insist that there's only one way, that there's only one God, there's only one mediator? Why do you have to be like that? And so you just are encouraged to go along to get along. That's the spirit of Babel. But there is only one name that we must seek to make famous in all the earth. What is his name? The Lord Jesus Christ. There may be days and circumstances when it will seem like the righteous suffer and the wicked seem to succeed. But our faith leaves the consequence with God. Now your thoughts on life's purpose will be most influenced by where you begin. In the beginning, God. It makes all the difference in the world as to where you end up, not only in life, but in all of eternity to come. You remember Enoch. In fact, his name was mentioned this morning. Enoch and Noah, they were the first of many examples in Scripture of men and women who walked with God, characterized by a God consciousness at all times, in all circumstances. They lived as if God were beside them. They spoke in recognition of God's oversight. 
Every action they took, they felt responsibility to God. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now, as we're in the New Testament, every believer is called to the same, to walk with God, worship God, believe His Word, understand what it says, obey His commands. My dear friend, do you know my Jesus? Revealed in the beginning with God. John 1, remember that passage? The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way down through verse 11, 12. In the beginning, right? God. Jesus was there. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. By Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He was in the world, Jesus. And yet, the world was made by Him, and the world still did not know Him. He came unto His own, remember that. And yet His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His, the Lord Jesus 